0: today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up i'm not a crook are you ready to go
1: shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel boom you can't get fooled again
0: welcome to the show everyone i am ben kissel I'm looking at Marcus Parks. Hey, Dan. You got your ween shirt on. I love ween. Adulting. <laughs> I'm adulting. I bought uh, a lamp yesterday. <laughs> I it, saw that. It, it's got deer hooves on it. It looks at very. It's very Wisconsin. Very Wisconsin. And I got a little lamp uh, as well that hangs. Mm-hmm. And people on Instagram said it looked like a dick. <laughs> and it's not a dick. It's a hoof. <laughs> <laughs> For crying out loud. Carelina it's a deer
1: did, hoof. Carolina did show it to me and go, what is that?
0: That's not a dog. <laughs> Did you ever see one attached to a lamp? That's ridiculous. My God. And then I I got riled up on Instagram, and people said, oh, it's fun, because now he's mad. It's not a dick. You can't get riled up, man. I wasn't really riled up. They were being cool, (laughs) as always. Uh, at the end of this, in, uh, and uh, towards the end of this episode, I did an interview with Jocelyn Elise Crowley. She is the widow of the late, great Alan Combs, mm-hmm. uh, who I had the great pleasure of filling in for, or I suppose, kind of replacing momentarily on Fox News Radio. But I will say, spoiler alert, they have gone with a conservative for that time slot.
1: Oh my God, how surprising.
0: I, I know, surprising. <laughs> but I might go back and join them every now and again. But either way, that was a great experience and an awesome opportunity, and I want to thank everyone. Everyone who went and supported me uh, while I was talking to the other side or, uh, you know, there on that radio show. So I interviewed her. She's the author of this book, Great Divorce, Uh, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. People divorce uh, more than ever after the age of 50. Huh. Yeah, for the first time for a variety of reasons. And she also talks about her relationship with Alan, and it's a sweet interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that. And we had a bunch of stuff to get to here on uh, uh, the, the the news of the week. Always. Always. So much stuff to get to. <laughs> a lot to get to. We had the government shut down That ended on Monday. The Democrats... Uh, gave in to the Republicans. We can go into further details about what happened there. Uh, we have the situation with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Mm-hmm. She's a lawyer. He was a, 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 a potential uh, investigator in the Mueller investigation looking into Russian collusion into the 2016 campaign. He, uh, let, he, he did not uh, participate in the investigation. He did say he didn't believe that there was anything there. And then, of course, uh, there's been a large conspiracy theory touted by the Republicans regarding so-called secret societies, which they mentioned in a text exchange. <laughs> um So, uh, and of course, the secret society thing, as I assumed it would be, it was just a complete and utter joke between two lovers who, by the way, between five months sent 50,000 texts. How's your relationship doing? (laughs) This entire story, the B-size to this whole story was like... think they're in love (laughs) 50,000 texts in five months are you kidding me 10,000 texts a month that is crazy and of course they did it on their samsung galaxy phones which evidently as marcus was telling me before the show they just don't save text messages uh very well yeah they don't save text text messages that long
1: because everybody uh on the right or at least maybe not everybody on the right but everybody who thinks (laughs) this is some sort of huge conspiracy conspiracy. they, they deleted all the messages like no that's just samsung phones just don't save text messages mm. that long ago. They were able to find quite a few of them, like mm. through some clever hacking uh, of clever programming. Uh, they were able to
0: find most of them, just not all of them. And of course, in order to hack a Samsung phone, you grab it, you look at it in its face and you shake and you say, Give me your text. <laughs> Give me the text message of Samsung. And they just cough it right up right there on the screen. <laughs> like the fat kid in Billy Madison. Yeah. <laughs> that when he grabs his face. Yeah. Cute kid So what was the one text
1: Marcus with the secret society reference. says, are you even going to give out your calendar seems kind of depressing maybe it should just be the first meeting of our secret society okay and of course the calendar
0: that he's referencing is putin beefcake calendars <laughs> is there any other kind of calendar so he made up mock or or um this was lisa page that made these correct uh no this, or, this was, was peter strach
1: well, actually bought okay. a a whole set of beefcake putin calendars yeah you know, just as a as, joke as a joke you know. you know, because of all the, you know, the very real Russian influ- uh, interference in our election. They're buying ads. Yeah, they're buying ads. You know, very real, and we knew that it was real at that time. Uh, we've known for quite a long time that the Russians were interfering and uh, shit in the United States. And so, as well, a joke, this guy bought. No, we know it's real. Well, uh, I
0: know. The question is how significant was it, and well, did it actually change votes and all those no, things? But of course, yeah, they, saying, they bought their. Uh, yeah, I'm they not their tweets.
1: I'm not saying there's collusion, but there is very, very, very real interference. Oh, of uh, course. So, as we do as well. Yeah. But as yes. we we do well. well, that doesn't make it right. No, I know. And I'm not <laughs> doing what about it. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this guy bought a bunch of calendars, and after Trump won, he's like, ah, Fuck. So you're not going to be giving out those calendars, huh? Uh, Maybe we should start our secret society. Definitive Uh, proof. Definitive proof. And here's the interesting thing about that uh, is the media has had access to this text message for quite a while now, Mm. uh, including Fox News. People who would have jumped on this, but all the media organizations are like, oh, yeah, that's obviously a joke. It wasn't until people in government found that secret society message and found something to jump on.
0: And what you're referencing there is Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin. (laughs) Johnson, who has – could not find a camera. I mean, he is a uh, a, – he loved every single possible camera that he could see. Any camera that would go in front of his face, uh, he was more than happy to speak to about this secret society. He has sent sort of uh, calm down on the secret society rhetoric – because it makes him sound crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because, of course, uh, it is entirely insane. Yeah, but it's meat.
1: It's meat for the Alex Jones base. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, once this shit is out there, uh, even when it's refuted, even when people go back on it, we see this again and again and again in conspiracy thought going all the way back to, like, 9-11 truthers, going all the way back to Oklahoma City. Well, you know, once information is out there, even after it's refuted, it lives out there on the Internet. It's not like right. every single claim, every single crazy conspiracy claim... Once it's been disproven, it's not like there's a little bot that goes out into the internet and corrects every single crazy claim. It just lives out there. And of of course, course since these people uh, operate in an echo chamber, they don't know that it's been disproven. They don't know that it's not. They don't know that it's a joke. All they see is secret society, and that's what they get. The one
0: thing that is true is the bigger story, in my opinion. Peter Strzok saying that he does not believe that uh, there is any connection between Trump and the Russians in 2016. He said there's no there there, which is why he didn't want to participate in the investigation. That's a big win for Donald Trump and his administration. He can say, look, somebody from inside the government, uh, some uh, an FBI agent doesn't believe there was anything there. Why is this happening? Uh, you know, this is going back to the whole narrative of it's a witch hunt, which is why the Republicans want to have a second special council to investigate the Mueller special <laughs> counsel which as i said before these councils are not that special anymore uh, and it's just costing billions of dollars uh, on be- and which we of course the american taxpayer will be financing
1: well first of all you know this guy's saying there's nothing there that or was millions anyway uh, or, yeah that was before the uh, investigation even began you know that was before people started going down for this shit and i don't think that the story here we were talking about before the show i don't think the story here is uh, uh, election collusion. I don't think it's election sure. collusion at all. I think it's Russian influence. I think it's money. You know, right. it's just how much
0: Russian money is tied up in Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And I mean, honestly, man, if you go you go down the money road, uh, both sides are going to be complicit when it comes to taking cash from from uh, controversial regimes and figures. Oh,
1: without a doubt, the Democrats have taken
0: quite a bit of money from Saudi Arabia. Oh yes, uh, but the uh, the Russians, as
1: far as like you know, Russian influence goes, you know, mm-hmm. anytime there is a negative story about Republicans, the Russian Twitter bots come out in full force. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question which side the russians are backing here there's no question which side the russians
0: prefer in american government they certainly did not vladimir putin did not like hillary clinton one bit i'm playing the 2003 gamecube game freedom fighters right now uh so how long have you been playing this for a couple of weeks it's difficult (laughs) i'm in the sewers right uh, at this point you Uh, figured out how to save though right i did figure out how to save you have to go to the sewers go to quick save Mm -hmm. and then uh you're allowed to die as much as you want yeah which is really beneficial for me uh So I know a thing or two about what the Ruskies are planning, trying to create the Soviet states of America. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Vladimir Putin and Hillary, obviously they did not uh, get along whatsoever. But, uh, you know, going back to 2011, when Barack Obama was talking to the president of of Russia, talking about how he'll have more negotiation room after the election – I don't think that they hated the Obama administration as much as they would have theoretically hated uh, Hillary uh, administration. Because if you look at what Hillary was talking about regarding the elections in Russia, calling them rightfully so, uh, calling them a sham, calling them fraudulent, uh, 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 there was no one. uh, Putin was going to win that election. It was not a free election. It was under the guise of a uh, democratic election, but uh, in no way was it actually a democratic election. If you look at what happened to Gaddafi and. Libya, which was a total nightmare, but uh, specifically for Gaddafi, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you look at the final moments uh, getting um, uh, dealt with with his own golden gun in a particular manner that no one likes to die in, No, Vladimir Putin really th- uh, saw Hillary Clinton and her more hawkish foreign policy towards uh, the Kremlin as a true threat, so I think that definitely was one of the reasons um, politically why he did not like Hillary Clinton and then as Marcus just said, financially uh, there are a lot of economic ties between Donald Trump, uh, his corporations and the Russians. You don't get into international real estate without dealing uh, with the Russian oligarchs. I mean these are people who have an extreme amount of uh, global clout and uh, an extreme amount of money on par with what uh, Marcus referenced with the Saudis you know so pick your poison. You're going to be in bed with uh, corrupt billionaires uh, who are doing devastating things uh, to their uh, constituents. Um, so that just is the way that the world is. I want to focus one thing here when it comes to the FBI. Uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, number one, as I said on television, uh, they're allowed to hold their own personal uh, political beliefs, right? Yeah. They're allowed to uh, not support or not like Donald Trump. Uh, that is well within the – the uh, that's – Well within um, normal, that's it's totally normal. Yeah, Um, as all uh, you know, officials as administrations come and go, and a lot of these deep state officials, as they can be called by some uh, people who like to play into hysterics and uh, in conspiracy theory, they stay. But the administrations come and go, and this is nothing new whatsoever. And obviously, this so-called deep state or whatever it is with the FBI. If they were so strong, they definitely biffed this one. If they wanted Hillary so bad, theoretically, she she should have won then, right? She would have won if they had this sort of clout that a lot of people believe that they have. But I also want to point out... When it comes to being skeptical of the FBI and the CIA, one of the things I was watching MSNBC and CNN, and they were talking, uh, they had this guy, CNN had this guy, Phil Mudd, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking about how great the FBI is, how great the CIA is, how great uh, our uh, intelligence agencies are, and the left has completely lost uh, sen- uh, sight of what uh, they used to think about these kinds of institutions. You go back to COINTELPRO, you know, the uh, the FBI uh, was complicit in the death of MLK. Who knows what the heck happened with JFK? Yep. And then you go back to PRISM, their surveillance program that Edward Snowden busted wide open, the NSA spy program, all these things coming home to roost when it comes to what we used to do to foreign regimes, what we used to do to destabilize foreign governments in foreign countries. They're using all those tactics here. So one of the things that is bothering me a little bit is the left just trying to pretend as if what the FBI says is gospel. It's not. They're a flawed institution. It's ran by human beings. Stunning news. We're all flawed. We all have our bias. So that's one of the areas that's kind of bothering me. You got the right going bonkers over a joke text message between two individuals, Who are lovers. Hmm. And you have the left trying to pretend as if the FBI is this holy entity that's never done anything wrong and it's a pinnacle institution when it comes to our um, American democracy. And the FBI has done a lot of horrible things. And the CIA has done a lot of horrible things. So I don't want to lose sight of that. And I think the left is doing us a disservice by pretending as if everything that Robert Mueller does or says or everything the FBI does or says is. True, We just don't know. There is a healthy amount of skepticism
1: that needs to be uh, employed here. And I I think there's a healthy amount of realism that needs to be employed. Like you look at what's coming out and you make your own decisions. There are, you know, no heroes in this story mm. like this i don't think this is going to be a, a a story of of heroes and villains like this is a story of people uh and we need to look at all of our institutions and look at them as you said look at them as people as flawed people that are not perfect you know not everything they say and do is going to be gospel but we do also need to have like if we're going to be americans if we're going to mm-hmm. be uh, a part of this country then we have to have some faith in our institutions you do. You know, I mean, they cannot be seen as, uh, all knowing gods, you know, because that's exactly what the left criticized, uh, the right for in
0: the Bush years. Well, that's the strange thing you know, right that, now, right?
1: That's like they, they criticize. You know, I remember all these people mm-hmm. uh, that are putting all their trust and faith in the FBI and the intelligence NSA, community, all yeah. the intelligence community. The same people that were screaming about the Patriot Act just a few years ago, absolutely, you know, screaming about homeland security and all that. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's been a complete and total shift, and it just, I mean, it really does go to show you that. Uh, political parties, political ideologies,
0: political beliefs Mm -hmm. shift with what's convenient. And this is what, you know, we talk about the illusion of choice and elections do matter and they do bring different consequences. But this is when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to just sort of like the shell game of trust, This is just huge corporations. They all run the exact same news media outlets. They're all run by the exact same individuals, if not their friends. Um, And they're just playing a game. And so right now I think there is this, push by some people on the left to make it seem as if uh the fbi has always been on our side and again yeah you look at what happened in the lead-up to the iraq war you look at what happens uh to this day when it comes to the cia drone program there is a lot of bad stuff happening uh at the hands of our intelligence agencies uh domestic spying drones are coming home I mean we are living in a very dangerous time uh, when it comes to our personal freedoms and liberties and the people who are taking extreme liberty with our uh, with our constitutional rights are those intelligence communities. So I do want to make sure that uh, that we don't lose sight of that as well.
1: However, I do also want to say that I do not think our intelligence communities want Russia to be in charge. No of course like, to, to them, no, I don't think I don't think our intelligence communities like to the extent that we can trust them. I don't think I don't think our communities <clears throat> want Russian influence inside America. I mean, well, these, are, th- these are people that, you mm-hmm. know, not every single person in the FBI or the CIA uh, is a good person, of course, no, but no. they're also... Filled with patriots. You know, the FBI and the CIR are filled with people who went into that field because they actually want to do something different. They want to serve the country, just like anybody in the military Mm -hmm. or anybody, any police officer. They're people that go into this because they actually want to serve the country, because they want to serve the greater good. There are a lot of evil motherfuckers in every single one of those uh, institutions. Well, just incompetent,
0: which leads to devastating results on that kind of level, you know. Evil and incompetent. You know, it's interesting you do mention that when it Comes to the Russians, of course. I think it was fifty-six to seventy-one that COINTELPRO was. That was really socialism, communism. Was that was in the crosshairs? That was oh, yeah. what they were trying to stop. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> why they went after the Black Panther Party, uh, some feminist groups. So going against the Russian ideology is nothing new to the FBI. No. Uh you know. So yes. Yeah, so you make a point there. They have. Never been fond of communism uh, or any of the individuals uh, who uh, who have that as their political ideology. But I just want to make I just wanted to t- talk about that just briefly. Um, also, with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, I think we know love wins. Uh, that's number one. A great relationship. Are they still together? I believe they're still together. If mm. this re- if this hasn't brought them closer, then I don't know what would.
1: Even if they broke up, maybe they called each other. And say you know what? Let's give it one more shot. Right. Do you, did you know we sent. 50,000 text messages to you? 50,000. I I can't even believe that.
0: I never heard, I don't think I've sent 50,000 text messages in my life. (laughs) Good God. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, You know, and I'm trying to think, this just continues to go on. The water continues to get muddied. Donald Trump said before exiting on on Air Force One uh, that he would sit down and speak with Mueller. I give his words, uh, you know, uh, it's a. a thimble's worth of trust uh, when it comes to, does he actually want to sit down with Mueller? Every- he said that he did. His lawyers immediately were like, let's get on the backtrack mobile. Yes. And we're like, uh, if if possible, if, if conditions allow, if Mueller gives us a list of questions or mm. uh, a list of topics that he would like to con- uh, discuss... Perhaps we'll sit down and talk with him.
1: Every time Donald Trump speaks extemporaneously, his whole, his team of lawyers is just watching. Oh, they have a note. Take, yeah. They're just taking notes to see, like, okay, well, how are we going to find our way around right. that? How are we going to backtrack on that? I mean, because it doesn't. It it's been proved that it doesn't
0: matter what he says. And you, you know? know, if you go back to what happened with Bill Clinton, for example, when he had to give the deposition. Uh, they're the two hour deposition. They timed it out in a way where Bill Clinton was like, oh, two hours. Mm-hmm. I can bullshit for fucking 17 years. You think that I, you know, and this is where it, does, it, it dissolves and devolves into what is, is. Yeah, that depends know. on what the meaning of was is. Exactly. So it just devolves into like madness where you're just yeah. like, and then he's like, oh, time's up. Gotta go. And you'd be like, we have learned nothing. We're dumber because of it. It's like Billy Madison's speech at the end where the guy uh-huh. is just like, we are stupider, more stupid, we're dumber because of what you've just said uh so if they do have parameters and create an environment that might foster a better outcome for donald trump which most likely they would do Mm -hmm. uh it's possible that uh that he comes out unscathed just as he did with the government shutdown which we should transition to here and talk about uh what happened over this past weekend um oh i don't think he came out of that unscathed the, the 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 polls do show that Donald Trump was, uh, in, the, in the eyes of the American people, usually in these shutdowns, Congress takes the blame because it's Congress's fault. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what happened with the Democrats, and let's get into this now, uh, they didn't get anything that they wanted, right? Well, they had CHIP. They didn't get DACA, but the, the Republicans already had CHIP in there. CHIP was going to be in there. The Republicans, let's just lay the framework here. So basically, three months ago, the Republicans had the opportunity to um, – to re-up CHIP, to finance CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. There's 9 million kids on this program. Everyone knows we need to finance CHIP. We need to fund it, that, naturally. Uh, they put that into this bill, and in exchange, they, uh, they, had, they left DACA out. And DACA was basically the only CHIP, uh, the bargaining CHIP, which is so sad because we're talking about 800,000 people here, um, that the Democrats had. They didn't get it, but the Democrats at the same time didn't oppose anything in the funding bill. Mm -hmm. The only thing was DACA. So now you have a question for the American people. Are 800,000 undocumented individuals – I mean I think that they're documented, but a lot of people would say that they're not – Are they worth shutting down the United States government over? The Democrats said yes, but of course they balked on Monday and they went along with it. They had a lot of power here needing 60 Senate votes and everything. This is like their version of being Kennedy on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. You're just one person, but when you're the swing vote, you might as well – you're the most powerful guy in the room. So they had a lot of power. And they balked and they they went on and financed the government. So if you look at the polling data, 24% say both Democrats and Republicans, 24% say Republicans, 34% say um, Democrats, and only 13% uh, in the average of polls blame Donald Trump, which is very similar to what happened in 2013 and in the mid-90s when it came to uh, Bill Clinton and the government shut down there. The president tends to skate on these issues Because it's Congress's job. They control the purse, and it's reflective on them, not the president, if they don't get anything done. Also, if you look at every single bargaining chip uh, that the Democrats had, everything that they wanted to go to the table with, they didn't get. And now you have a situation where Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are being first of all, the Republicans are totally fine because they got the government financed. The left, um, I believe it's called Credo. There's activist immigrant groups who are just livid with uh, with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer because they didn't get anything. Donald Trump got every single thing that he wanted, so the left just got battered by both sides, and it's really uh, absolutely horrible. Uh, what's happened here, and I am quite concerned that come, come the midterms, the Republicans are going to have every legislative victory, and the Democrats are going to have none, and the American people are just going to have to go to, their, uh, go to their polling places, and are they going to be thinking about Donald Trump? They're going to be thinking about the people who are running on those, um, on those ballots, and if they have nothing to run on, I think it's going to be very difficult for this so-called blue sweep to occur. Not every Republican running is going to be Roy Moore. Yeah, there's going to be like rational Republicans out there. And if they need to get some of these blue states to turn purple, at the very least, to get a moderate Democrat in some of them. And it's going to be really tough if they have no legislative victories whatsoever. Mitch McConnell has said that he wants to push forward with DACA in the upcoming weeks. Who knows? We have another government shutdown possibly happening in three weeks. Is DACA going to get passed then with the Republicans? Uh, Do they put it through at that point? In which case, the Democrats got nothing. Then it will be the Republicans who pass DACA, Republicans who pass CHIP, and the Democrats will be left with uh, with leftovers.
1: Well, I think what you're going to have to look at here is like just because some they have a legislative victory does not necessarily mean that the American people are going to agree with that legislative victory. Well, you know, Congress is just so hated.
0: Oh, so, of I course. Mean,
1: I mean, Congress is extremely hated, but if the American people look at what— you know, Trump and the Republicans are going to be doing in the next, you know, 10 to 11 months here. Right. The American people look at it and say, like, I don't want that. Like, that's because one when Democrats come out, when people who aren't the Republican base actually come out, a lot of times the Republicans lose. The Republicans don't win because they're the majority. The Republicans win because the majority of their people come out to vote. It's just because the rest of us don't show up. That's well,
0: why Republicans win yeah. in a lot of places. Well, you know, and then really one of the more, uh, one of the larger reasons for that is economic stability and age. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans tend to be a little wealthier and a little bit older. Uh, and both of those people have the ability to go vote. They have yeah. time. They can take the day off. They can take the day off. Or they don't have a job. They're retired. They, be- they might be retired and they're very, they're invested mm-hmm. because, you know, you're dealing with Medicare, Medicaid taxes, things that are very real to them uh, in their lives. When it comes to Democrats, they got to get over this. uh, You know, there's a purity test for both parties. Donald Trump blew that thing wide open Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you have these evangelical leaders who the fact that they are defending... The Stormy Daniels affair, which definitely happened, Mm -hmm. the payout no one really knows, but I would assume so. The irony is, uh, there was about thirty other women they should have been paying out too. They're like the only one that Trump could remember, I guess, was Stormy Daniels.
1: (laughs) Well, Um, there was was the most
0: recent, that's for sure.
1: Well, there was an excerpt in Fire and the Fury. Fury is like, so what we no Fire and the Fury. That's right. (laughs) Fire and the Fury. Like, what we pay out like a hundred or so. You know, like that was like a quote from Steve Bannon, you know, yeah. talking about how many women they actually paid off. It was quite a few. Sure. If Fire on the Fury is to be believed. Big if true.
0: Big if true. Another big if, if, true. if true. So if true. So, you know, the purity test that the Republican Party used to have when mm-hmm. it came to social morals uh, is just completely out the window. I've been talking about this. I talked about this a lot uh, on the radio this week. You know, um, a lot of these evangelical uh, leaders have come out supported Donald Tony Perkins being one of them, Frank Graham, of course, of the great Graham legacy. They are all supportive of Donald Trump because they think he's changed or whatever. And they believe, you know, they didn't elect a pastor, as they always say. And he has given them what they want politically. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to go along with it, which is just so mind boggling to me that the evangelical religious right supports this guy. But they do it because they think his policies. Are in line with theirs, and uh, they think that his social and his personal life, he's trying to do better, although, who knows what's happening. Uh, in that White House right now, as we speak. I mean, they're shaking hands with the devil, and I think with sure. a lot of these uh, evangelical
1: leaders. I think, and I'm definitely not saying all evangelicals here, and I'm not saying oh, all no. Christians or anything oh, yeah, like I that. Know, but I want to clarify that too. Someone on on social media yeah, was I like, "I saw that yeah. too," and I I, no, 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 no. I apologize if if um, we came off that way. Yeah, we,
0: no, I'm talking solely in a political yes. evangelical religious right sense. These are not. This is not Christians like no. like you might be or your friends or all. A lot of our friends are Christians. We're not talking about that. Some of my best friends are Christians. I love Christians. Love Christians, <laughs> yes. I love all people of all faiths. It doesn't matter if you're a Satanist, a Christian, whatever, just to be a good person. We're talking in a political sense. These exactly. guys have a lot of money. They have a lot of power. They do. And I
1: think uh, what the evangelical platform has become, and I think what it's been uh, for a long time now, is that uh, evangelism is no longer about love. It's not about loving your fellow man. It's not, not at about, all. It's not about, you know, love it. it's now it's not even about loving your family. You know, it's not about loving your wife and being home for her as she's taking care of a four month old baby. You know, well, you know, he wasn't a Christian yet
0: when he cheated on with, with stormy Daniels, Ex- that's what they, that's really that's, what they I know. Say.
1: that's what I, but yeah. I know that's what they say, but I'm talking, you know, principles here, like what kind of principles they've abandoned. It's not about right. love at all. It's about who you hate, right? You know, it, it's a, it's all about who you hate. So, it's not about who you love at all. It's, you know, it, it's about hating gay people. It's about hating women. It's about hating uh, immigrants. It's about hating. I think more, everything.
0: I think it's the immigrants thing is, yeah. is really, is really big.
1: Yeah. I anti-gay rights have, have kind of like that's take that's kind of gone back but it's about hating transgender people you know like that's the yeah. new one uh, oh transgender
0: are big in the crosshairs yeah, yeah
1: transgenders are huge but, in the crosshairs like that's that's what event and, and that's why they love donald trump because donald trump is a creature of hate he's actually what they've well, been asking for for so long <laughs> uh
0: in a strange way yeah a different uh, maybe a different uh messenger than they expected but, but they going back it. to what i was talking they got him elected yeah because they threw away the purity test. They, I mean, there used to be, as uh, as Grover Norquist has like the tax purity quest uh, um, uh, or, or uh, test, rather, uh, they had the religious one. And they let it go for Donald Trump, or they rationalized it slowly. And they said, okay, this guy, he's given us everything, staunchly pro-life. He's going to put Jeff Sessions in power, perhaps. He uh, allied himself with all these religious, right uh, uh, Jeffers, I mean, all these guys. Very powerful people. He went to speak at Liberty University, for crying out loud. He also just spoke at the pro-life rally. First president to ever do it. So he's giving them everything they want. They threw away their purity test when it came to his own morals because they thought he was reflecting their morals when it came to his policies. He's in the White House. The Democrats have a whole nother level of purity test, and it's extremely difficult for anyone to pass it because no one is perfect. So when it comes to the Democrats purity test, the the DNC just allowed pro-life candidates to come in. People were livid. Uh, A lot of people on the left were absolutely livid. I'm pro-choice. But um, if you want to get some if you want to get a Democrat elected in some of these red states, they're going to have to be pro-life. There's a Democrat who's pro-life here in New York, as a matter of fact. Yeah, uh, They have to be. And you can't just have very rigid... Uh, ideology. Also, it's the intersectionalism of the of the left that is extremely difficult to coalesce one unified voice around. Right. So we have we have the women's rights movement. Uh, we have the black uh, the Black Lives Matters movement. We have the economic injustice movement. We have so many different issues that we're attempting um uh, to handle and all of those issues are supposed to theoretically be taken with the same amount of seriousness but it's impossible because if that issue if you're part of blm and we uh and uh, now you're supposed to also be extremely pro uh lgbtq this is not necessarily mutually exclusive for people. Uh, there are a lot of different ideologies within each one of these groups, and it's difficult to have a huge amount of crossover. Which is why you get a lot of people either staying at home, uh, voting third party, or just um, you know not not participating whatsoever when it comes to actually choosing uh, a, a reasonable candidate uh, to run for public office. So it becomes more difficult for the left because they do they are so fractured. And they try to come all together, but it's really difficult because no one's allowed to feel as if their cause is uh, superior uh, to another or whatever it might be. So they're left kind of like budding heads in the middle, which is why you see a divide between the women's rights movement um, and some other groups uh, because they're supposed to be taken all – they want everything to get done at the same time, yeah, and it's just becoming increasingly difficult because you can really only go. You you got to kind of do things in in a certain order, and who gets um, taken care of first? Immigration, huge for the left. You know, we're talking about a lot of uh, Hispanic Catholics here uh, who theoretically would vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, George W. Bush, a great example of a Republican president. Uh, who was able to galvanize a huge amount of Hispanic support because he's pro-life, he's very religious. So it's difficult for the left to find one unifying message, mm-hmm. and everyone is so di- so worried about stepping on each other, or I don't want to say the word offending because I think that's like cliche, but they're just worried about not being, um, they're they're, it's not so much offending, they're just uh, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of tiptoeing. I think there's a lot of eggshell walking and not knowing exactly what their message is, who's in charge. And the Republican Party hasn't really had that issue um, as much. Well, I think the the left could, um, I think really in Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders was the best person to try to. In hindsight, though, Bernie really did a massive disservice. I was thinking about his DNC speech the other day, you know, where you you were left thinking like, is he out? is he in? Bernie really should have just given it up and just not given it up. Not, not, not the movement he should have channeled. Oh, you know, you, we know this now we have uh, so many listeners for like last podcast and we you know we're doing, we're trying to, you know, get more listeners and we have this great group of people uh, that we can like harness and try to like put in a direction be like, Hey, listen to this too. Check that, check out this show. Bernie Sanders had such a huge following millions and millions of people so much energy so much passion and i think he could have done a better job of transitioning that energy transitioning that power uh to hillary clinton he
1: absolutely could have because well knows I, what would happen because
0: then? bernie sanders had the message he was he on the one that figured
1: the message was care for your fellow citizen it's very simple yeah just care and i i think all of the like women's rights and black lives matter and lgbt rights all of that uh and you know Fucking Medicare, you know, uh, healthcare, yep. college, all of that has to, all that boils down to care for your fellow citizen. Uh, and Bernie Sanders was very good at conveying that message. He Hillary was. Clinton was terrible at conveying that message. Right. Because I think the other thing about uh, Bernie Sanders is, you know, he could have done a better job at transitioning that message. But it's also a message that Hillary Clinton couldn't do. She's not good at that.
0: Like she's not but, but well, let's, not I th- let's not relitigate. No, yeah, no we're not no relit- Yeah, we're not gonna relitigate. Yeah, we're not gonna really but what I'm But I'm saying just talking now, about in the context of the midterms. In the context what's of the, the Democrats' mid-term? message that they are gonna propel that's gonna propel them forward. And again, going back to what began this conversation, the government shutdown was not a good look no it was not and a good they look. did not win that war politically and i think care for your fellow man
1: could also work in the midterm elections so like you know look look at what trump's policies and republican policies have done to our country look at how divided we are look at how awful things are do you feel good has this last year made you feel good at all has it made you feel secure has it made you feel safe you know how are you feel how are you feeling
0: Pretty much after the well, last right. co- after the last well, couple it's the, of years, it's the old it's the old saying: Are you better now than you were before? Mm-hmm. If, if not, vote for the other party.
1: Well, the Republicans have always had a very simple message, uh, and I think it's you know it resonates with people. And the I think the message, if you boil it down, is "fuck you, I got mine." No, you I know? don't know if that. That's not it. It's I, it's I, the economy. Yeah, and it well, is. Yeah, it's of the idea, Well, that's but, what I mean. The economy is yeah, but, "fuck you, I got mine." No, like I, I don't, I don't care. The, I don't care about you. I don't care about what you need i care about
0: what i need and i care about what i have no because they no because the people getting the 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 little kickbacks in their and not little but they're getting their getting their larger checks with the tax return yes as we talked about in the last episode long-term ramifications who knows yeah uh it's possible we're just building the building up to another recession here or uh, or an economic uh collapse but they're getting money i know and And, that is really
1: beneficial and that's where i was going with that is i think you know fuck you i got mine is not always an extreme it's not something with all citizens it's not something uh that is specifically evil or malicious or anything like that because a lot of people have to think that way to survive in america things have been built that way uh where we have to think that like where you can't really be thinking about uh, the person that you've never met if you can't pay your own bills. Yeah, you got to
0: take care of you, I mean, that's why, as I always say, you got to put the. Li- they always tell you to put your, the life vest on yourself first mm-hmm. or the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping somebody else out on a plane. And I think here's a, the, another thing that um, you know,
1: because America is an extremely complicated place, and I, and I think this is something that uh, is misunderstood about Americans, is that a lot of times we're very good to our neighbors we're very good to the people around us we like to help out. The people. Rand
0: Paul, <laughs> his neighbor, beat the hell out of him.
1: <laughs> but I think Americans help out the people they know
0: sure you know of they,
1: they try uh, I think a lot of Americans are very good with their neighbors and they like to help, they out, help the, out
0: the people they know and they help out abstract notions of people they want to help yeah. so it's like they give to like these charities for people which is great Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know at the same time you know, give, give to the people of downtown Charlotte yeah. you know like there's also a community right a mile away yeah. that
1: could use your help but I, th- I think uh, a lot of Americans have a hard time helping people that they will never see and they will never meet uh, and I think that's why. I think they have a hard be- time
0: helping people that they see but don't meet. Yeah. You know, it's the people they never see. They really be like, "I am helping every. I give, I give a dollar a month to an African child. I don't want to say I'm a saint, but I have heard I'm a saint." Um, you know, that's then they yeah. can put it on their fridge, yeah. and which is great. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not even like demeaning it. I'm, I'm just saying, there's a, a lot of people here yeah. that need help too. Well, maybe it's just that we don't like involuntarily helping people. Like, well, right. You know, it's like we don't. Well, the question is, we don't like being told who to help. You know, I get this a lot, and I understand this perspective. Um, A lot of people see like this DACA argument happening and they are just seeing the Democrats uh, fighting for this group of people who, again, they they did everything right. Seventy percent of this country believes that they should stay in this country. They should have a clear path to citizenship. The wall is 56 percent of people disapprove of it. So... um, there's the the momentum or the the political uh, will is on the side of keeping DACA kids here, but how they handled it in this last shutdown, where the Republicans were able to put up chip, and again I understand they should have financed the dang thing three months ago, but this is the politics that we're playing here, and this is why the Democrats have they're just gonna be so bad at it, which is why they need desperately need new leadership in my opinion, um, because Pelosi and Schumer. They just totally screwed the pooch on this because e- now you have advocacy groups, as I just said, livid with them, and you got the American people, even individuals who support DACA, saying, "Well, was this worth a, a government shutdown? Was this worth the billions of dollars that we just cost or just wasted? We did kill 150 ISIS members over the weekend, though. Cool. Yeah, so don't, <laughs> don't worry about that. And uh, so no, that, that's they, why it's it's just to me it was scary because or not scary, but to me it was. If you are um, a Democrat, if you want to see a big blue wave in 2018, this government shutdown, which will be forgotten about, we have many months here; uh, it's all going to be forgotten about. But if the trend continues, uh, I, I just don't know if it's going to end up happening because, again it's not all going to be Alabama. I know Virginia, I get New Jersey. New Jersey also, I mean, this woman was running as a Chris Christie third term. The guy was at 15% approval (laughs) ratings. What a nightmare. No chance. Virginia, very interesting. Um, But I I, I think, I I see for some reason, I'm just getting the sense of like, it's inevitable. The Democrats are going to win the midterms, and it's going to be clear sailing from there. And I am just very concerned yeah. uh, that the Republicans hold the way that they gerrymandered and redistricted consistently. You look at North Carolina, it's going to be so hard. And it's possible uh, with the Senate, I think it's a little bit more possible because you got statewide elections. You can't really gerrymander a state uh, quite like uh, they can congressional districts. But I'm just a little bit concerned because I'm not seeing a lot of reasons to celebrate if you're on the left right now and hatred for Donald Trump, hey that's great. but you know what it's not 2020 yet. You just got to get people out you, you have to get people out to the polls. you
1: that's know, gonna be that's going the that's the only way the Democrats are going to do it. I is was looking to get people out or if yeah. they switch it up and like you said, get Pelosi and Schumer out of there. It's just not
0: happening. Get them
1: out of there. It's God just, they're so they've been so bad for, for so, so long. long for
0: so so long. Politics are a strange profession. You can just fail up. Yeah. So much. You can just continually fail up. And uh, and nothing seems to be getting done. I read this Fox News poll. It was plus or minus three. So it is, it is um, scientifically accurate uh, from the social sciences perspective. And it was interesting because uh, the question was about enthusiasm. And uh, it was basically like tired of it or energized by it. 49% of... Um, Of uh, Republicans were tired of it, 50% of Democrats were tired of it uh, over this past year, Mm -hmm. and uh, 26% were energized by it, and 25% were energized by it. The 25% was uh, Democrats, and the 26% were Republicans. So I'm worried that the enthusiasm gap, which you think would be really closing here Mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, people coalescing and saying, we're going to get those Republicans, the Republicans seem to be Just as energized, or more energized uh, than the Democratic Party right now. I think they see what's going on, and they are just so uh, ready to to defend and to fight. And the Democrats, again, we have all these great marches happening, all these great speeches happening. I love it. Uh, It was so cool—the "Hail Yourself" sign at the the Women's March. It was awesome. I am just extremely concerned that uh, there are a lot of people that were not seen on the streets and. What are those people thinking, and do they uh, do they have enough? So does the Democratic Party have enough support um, amongst other groups of people uh, to carry them through in the midterms? And I just, if they lose that, to me that that polling data was just cra- and it's just one poll, mm-hmm. um, but it it seems to me also if you listen to like the right talk, they are. Very energized. Yeah. It hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, you know they're passing legislation, whether it be good or bad or or someplace in the middle. I, I'm just a little bit worried that the midterms come through and it continues to be the way it is, and then we could get into some real dangerous territory where you have an emboldened Jeff Sessions, where you have an emboldened just, Justice Department, where they really go in and uh, and start doing some horrible things. The Democrats gotta win in the midterms because we gotta stop. You, got, you, got to, you don't want to give them too much momentum there. That's exactly what happened with Obama in 2010. Obama, uh, there was basically paying for Obamacare. They cleaned house. Obama still was able to escape because he was so charismatic, um, you know, winning re-election and everything. But um, when it comes to the Democrats, they just got to figure something out for the midterms. And right now they have gotten zero victories and the shutdown was, uh, was a letdown. Jeff Sessions
1: is the uh, he is the underlying villain here that nobody's paying a lot of a heck of a lot
0: more power if we continue on. Do you
1: hear what he just did? He wants to overturn the civil forfeiture laws. He Mm. wants to make it where if a cop wants to seize your assets, seize your property Mm. and keep it. No matter what, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if you're convicted of a crime. It right. doesn't matter if you, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you were arrested and mm-hmm. then immediately let loose. I didn't even hear about that. They just keep it. That was yesterday. Unbelievable. Uh, he he wants to roll back civil forfeiture. Like, he wants to make it easier for the government. It's the prison planet. This is it's it. It's the prison planet. Jeff Sessions is the
0: prison planet. It's all under the guise of giving you more freedom, and it's just a lie. It's all uh, a lie. It's all a total lie. Um, so anyway... Well, anyway, what else do we want to talk about here? We got, uh, you were talking about with the Mueller situation. The Mueller situation, yeah. Will Donald Trump fire Mueller or not fire Mueller? Obviously, he won't, but evidently he thought about doing it last year.
1: Well, he thought in June he Mm -hmm. uh, was going to do it, uh, but his uh, special counsel threatened to resign if he did do it because it would be such an an awful idea, especially coming on the heels of Comey. Mm. Uh, I think... Well, one of the interesting things I saw someone point out is that around June was when Sean Hannity started talking about how Trump should fire Mueller, Uh. or Mueller, uh, because we know there's a very well-documented link between what goes on on Fox News and what comes out of Donald Trump's uh, Twitter. Uh, That, to me, is just, it's fascinating, and it is terrifying.
0: It's interesting. Donald Trump, you know, this whole anti-news kind of thing that he has going on. He loves it. He loves it. He loves the news. He talks to the press a lot more than Obama did. Uh, in these kind of very bizarre, well, he always has to go. Yeah, you know, which is just so classic. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I'm just on my way out here." Uh, what do you want? You, you know, so everything is kind of brief. But he is addicted to the stuff. He's addicted to fame. He's addicted to celebrity. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the great ironies that I see when it comes to the press. And mark my words: his State of the Union, his upcoming State of the Union, it's going to be huge. going will be gigantic. If you really don't like Donald Trump. Don't watch and try to make the ratings go down, but I think it's just going to be massive because everyone's going to want to see... Uh, Everyone wants to see, you know, the circus animal. Yeah. Everyone (laughs) Everyone wants to to see see what goes on. Everyone wants to see it. It's going to be absolutely
1: fascinating. What's he going to do? I mean, and and that's, it's total reality show politics. What's he going to do? Oh. But the thing is about the- uh, The the, bar is
0: very low for his State of the Union.
1: Extremely low. Uh, But with him wanting to fire uh, Mueller- Why is he constantly wanting to fire everyone? (laughs) Like, why is he constantly wanting... It's on brand. Like, Well, that's... I guess it's on brand, but it it is... It's telling. It's very telling that he wants... And I'm not saying it's Russian collusion, uh, but... He does not want someone like Mueller looking into his finances. He's a dirty motherfucker. Always a real estate billionaire. He's a real estate billionaire. He's a billionaire. Of course, he's a dirty motherfucker. He doesn't want Mueller looking into his finances. Sniffing around. I don't want a full-on criminal in the White House. Well, we'll never have another president. (laughs) I mean, that's. (laughs) I don't want a super dirty. Like I don't. Obama was not a criminal. No, he was not. He did not come into office a criminal. No, he was not. He did not leave office a criminal. No, he did he not. He did not become a criminal during his tenure in the White House.
0: No, he did not. Well, Donald Trump.
1: Maybe. The drum, he, no, 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 no. Now, every president's got to,
0: they always got <laughs> to get their fingers dirty not, a little bit. He
1: did not come in a criminal. You no, know,
0: no. I don't it was want. It totally, totally different lifestyles Yeah, totally, uh, totally different life Yes, lives,
1: yeah. I, I, I would much rather have that. You know, I, I would much rather have a constitutional law professor come right. in, you know, I, instead of a real estate criminal, instead of a money launderer. Uh, you know, that's, I don't want that. Nobody yeah. wants that. And that is, I think, inevitably what Mueller is going to find if not in Donald Trump but in the people around him. Well, and he's already found it in the folks around him. Yeah, yeah, it's Manafort, obviously. Yeah. He's already found so, it. And the but, the further in that he goes, uh the more that he'll find. And that's maybe. what Trump doesn't want. Yeah. And it, and that's well, the, the and thing that's is, the and that yeah. right there that is the argument for obstruction is he's not he's allowed to fire whoever he wants. Absolutely. Yeah. That's his power. But if he is firing people for the purpose of concealing a crime, then that's obstruction.
0: Yeah. Um, which is, I, I don't see the, uh, I think this thing just kind of drags on for a while and I don't, I don't see it being, uh, uh in, an impeachable offense at this point, but who the heck knows? Maybe something huge comes out. Maybe Donald Trump perjures himself at some point. Uh, well, uh, testifying under oath, you know Donald Trump under oath is very interesting. If you remember the footage of him testifying at the trial back in the day, mm-hmm. just kind of sits there. He's a much different person under oath, it seemed to me anyway. Oh, very much so. Uh, it's fa- that is fascinating to watch. He's a little boy. Yeah. Uh, he's, well, he's a- trying to not. Just screw it up. So like <laughs> he's gotta start watching his words a little bit. Right. Under oath is a big deal. Yeah, he's
1: a little boy with his hat in his hand that's in trouble, you know, trying um, to keep himself out of tr- you know, trying to keep himself out. He really pulls it back quite a bit. Let's
0: talk briefly here about and we'll get yeah, so we'll see what goes on with that as as, as the year continues, hopefully the Mueller investigation does something. Um, And We'll just continue to see what goes on with that. When it comes to immigration, I want to talk a little bit here about sanctuary cities and funding. Uh, Donald Trump had a meeting with all of America's mayors. A couple didn't go. Rahm Emanuel of Chicago, de Blasio, the New Orleans mayor did not go either. They went three blocks away, as a matter of fact, in Washington, D.C., uh, because Donald Trump wanted to talk about sanctuary cities. And uh, what's going on right now with them, they want to cut funding. The federal government wants to cut funding to them. Again, California, sixth largest economy in the world. It's the largest economy in the country. Um, you're, I mean, cutting funding is is, is insane. Yeah. That, I mean, it's not happening. Um, but that's what they're threatening. And so right now there is a, uh, a lot of pressure on these sanctuary cities to really um, – change their policies, and we're going to see if they're able to bend, if they do bend or not. This is one of the areas that I think the Democrats um, really could make a strong statement on, the sanctuary cities. But it's also very difficult because a lot of people look at the violence in some of those cities uh, of the mayors that are protesting, like New Orleans. I believe it's number one or number two when it comes to shooting deaths and murders. Chicago, top 20. Uh, And they look at all the problems in those cities, and I think it really does – Uh, sort of uh, dampen down the amount of anger that those uh, people have towards Donald Trump and his administration. And if that's what I was saying with Jeff Sessions in the midterms, if they do uh, get uh, success in Congress, once again, they're able to hold the Senate and hold the House. Sanctuary cities are uh, really going to be in the crosshairs here. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to change their policy because, you know, immigration law is set at a federal level. Um, so, you know, you make the state's rights argument and then everyone's like, well, but it's the federal government that creates immigration law. But of course I say these st- cities should be allowed to be sanctuary cities if that's what they want. And, uh, and let's not forget a lot of the individuals in those cities, uh, are making up a huge portion of our workforce, yeah. uh, that are filling jobs that would otherwise go unfilled. I mean, that's the question
1: is, um, does that crime, any of that crime, have to do with immigrants? Like, is, well, it, is you know, it being perpetrated
0: about by immigrants? Crime is—this is what bothers me. It's illegal. <laughs> like, you know, no one is like, oh, you're off the hook. You know, yeah. they talk about Kate Steinle and all this stuff. This is one outlier situation. And by the way, that guy's in federal prison right now. Yeah. Um, uh, and he should be. And, and that's fine. It's they pretend like sanctuary cities mean that you're allowed to do whatever you want to do. Criminal law still applies to sanctuary cities. The only thing that is not happening is ICE isn't knocking down your freaking business door to go get the barbacks. It's mm-hmm. the only difference. Um, but if you commit a crime and you're an undocumented person in those places, you're prosecuted. You're tried. I mean, you are. Uh, you're either deported or you're sent to a um, to a uh, federal private prison. I mean. It, they, they, they pretend like it's the Wild West, but sanctuary cities, all it is talking about is not tearing families apart um, because one person happens to be undocumented or for whatever reason. So that's that's what I try to argue with people who are like, oh, they're just getting away with everything. The law applies even in sanctuary cities. And even what, what the only thing that sanctuary city means, it doesn't mean
1: that ICE isn't allowed here. It, all it means is that that city's federal, or that that city's law enforcement doesn't, does, report. doesn't report and doesn't assist. That's all sanctuary city means. Yep. I mean, ICE just came in here. There was actually a little bit of a small controversy here in New York City uh, because ICE agents came in and uh, arrested some immigrants and some people said that they saw the NYPD assisting when the e- NYPD is not supposed to assist mm. because we're a sanctuary city. But that's all sanctuary city means. It does not mean that ICE or the federal government is not allowed. They can come in whenever they want. That just means that we don't report right. immigrants and we uh, illegal immigrants and we do
0: not – report, and we don't assist in deportation raids. I mean, let's just be realistic, man. Just how many how many restaurants, how many bars – I mean, I was a bar back for two years in this city. I didn't – I was the only white one. Yeah. You know, I was the – I was a dishwasher. You know? Only white one. Yes. So let's not pretend like – you know, you see these people every single time you step out. And I think there's just a there's just a total disconnect in people's minds. And I get it because, you know, a lot of the calls on Fox News would be like my grand my mother. I got one call yesterday. My mother's 80 years old. She's been cleaning toilets for 50 years. She makes two hundred dollars mo- too much. She makes two hundred dollars uh, more Um than, uh, than what the law allows for her to receive uh, funding, uh, for her to receive um, government aid. benefits, aid, thing like, uh, things like that. And I'm like, that's horrible. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't also be able to protect uh, the eight hundred thousand DACA kids. That doesn't mean we also can't protect other people in this country. This is what this is what politics do. This is what politicians do. This is what our government does. This Is what all governments do. They divide and conquer, and they say well, you can only get one or the other. Either or, black we have and white. So much fricking money in this twenty trillion dollar economy, and I understand. You know, we got a massive deficit that we're rolling on, and all that kind of stuff. But if the government would just allocate funds. More appropriately, $600 bucks for the military, it's not needed. Uh, you could easily cut $50 billion from the military. Of course, this is political suicide because uh, no one in Congress actually has any backbone. That money could be allocated um, when it comes to helping out poor whites, poor blacks, poor immigrants, poor people all across the board. But they continue uh, just giving us a little bit, a little, a little baby carrot. Uh, and they say, you got to fight over it. you yeah. got to fight over it. And that's what I just try to argue with these people. And that's why they get so angry when it comes to immigrants. And they get so angry when it comes to DACA. They say, why are they even talking about these people? And they have reasonable gripes on their own side. Yeah. So, you know, I get that. But don't fall down that trap because the government can very well do both. And, uh, and they are just uh, – they're not willing to because they want to play political uh, games and again that's just the world that we're living in and i hope that uh schumer and pelosi can figure out how to better uh navigate the world because if we have another situation like the government shutdown um, it, It's just going to look, it's just going to be a bad look. That's a hell of a
1: problem to solve. I mean, I mean, the people up top have been making the people on the bottom fight over scraps for centuries. Oh, of course. And especially here in America. This is not anything, this is nothing new. This is not something that, you know, this is a, a time-tested tradition of the people at the top keeping as much as they can for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then making the people at the bottom believe that there's only a small amount for them to fight right. over. You know, like that. that's... That's what they've always done, right? And that's what they're always going to do, right? Unless there's some sort of huge sea change, but it's that's yep. di- it's a that, that's about as well, that's about as difficult as you can get without burning the whole goddamn thing. That's down. what
0: happens when you keep wages stagnant when you when you just uh, when you just create a uh, a um, a society that uh, that. A political system that benefits from division. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly uh, what we have. And again, you know not to harp on gerrymandering or redistricting too much, but you got these solid districts that have no reason to compromise on both sides. Republicans are better at doing it. Um, and so there's just no reason for them to, uh, to, to, uh, to compromise whatsoever. They get in extremely safe seats. and then all they listen to is the lobbyists and uh, the people giving them money, the big pharmaceutical companies um it's absolutely horrendous no backbone no principles uh none whatsoever as we are seeing on a regular basis um so anyway let's go to that interview i think everything is going to be fine by the way (laughs) i do want to point that out it shall be okay uh who knows but get get uh get riled up and who i mean i haven't heard too many big names yet or not even big names oprah by the way is not running no i do have to say thank christ you're mean marcus dystopia Dysopria? Yeah. Dystopria? Dystopria. No. It's Hopra. <laughs> nope. It's dystopia. It's, fun d- that it's dystopria. Been? Oh, come on. She said she doesn't have the DNA for it. But she would. She could. But why would why why would somebody put themselves through it? No more celebrities. Well, what about The Rock? <laughs> no more celebrities. What about um who would be a fun celeb? James Woods. No, Mary, Donald Trump. Oh, more he, is the, he is the craziest person on Twitter. Oof. You ever follow James Woods? Yeah,
1: I've checked him out. It's, oh my God, it, it's, it's amazing. An, it's infuriating and uh, alarming. It's funny.
0: He's funny. <laughs> I think he's serious.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why it's alarming. Is he seri- I can't tell if he's, he's very. I really serious. don't know. I don't. I, I, you can tell the difference. He's serious. Oh, no. Yeah. um all right you know who you should follow follow gary Busey. i follow gary Busey. Of he's a delight oh no, that's the president <laughs> that's who i want actually as president
0: <laughs> what is fear again false expectations appearing real oh my god he's the best i love him all right so this is an interview i did with jocelyn elise crowley she's the author of the book gray divorce what we lose and gain from midlife splits and uh yeah i think it's a really it's a heartwarming interview and she's a really cool person so, uh, all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. What else do we want to do? Uh, find us all on social media. And if you can talk about the show with your friends, that'd be amazing. Uh, that'd be very nice of you.
1: Yeah, do let that. us know. There's, there's a ton of great tweets out there of people saying, the only uh, political show I can uh, listen to is Abe Lincoln Stop at. So, yeah. yeah, keep keep making those tweets. Let your friends know. But you can, let you your friends know who hate politics,
0: who yeah. you like to listen to talk politics about. Yeah, it's not the worst thing. It can be done in a fun manner. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone, hail yourselves, and we will talk to you in a second. Wait, talk to you soon. Soon. Soon? soon. Like right now, because the interview, and then after that, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, I'll talk to you later. Oh, okay. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. With me now, I am honored to have Jocelyn Elise Crowley. She is the author of Grey Divorce What We Lose and Gain. From midlife splits, and uh, and also uh, the widow of the late great Alan Combs.
2: Oh yes, I am delighted to be here today, and it is it's kind of a sad day. Yeah, because you know this was around this time of year last year. It was Alan's last show. Yeah, and you know he he did he loved his job so much. He
0: was amazing at it.
2: He you know when he was diagnosed in the fall. Yeah, he was dealing with the illness and at the same time his number one priority besides dealing with this illness and his family was his job yeah was his love of the radio he Mm -hmm. whatever he had going on he said you know i'm gonna get in i'm gonna do my show no matter how he felt and i at one point i really remember sitting down with him and he wasn't doing that well yeah and i said listen honey i said you know, you don't have to be the hero. Right. We can, we can, you know, call call out for a period of time, get your strength together again. Yeah. And he said, absolutely not. Wow. He said, I I love that show. I'm going wow. into that show. Nobody's going to stop me.
0: Well, and and uh, well, speaking of heroes, certainly you were throughout that time. I cannot even imagine how um, painful, stressful, emotional that must be. Uh, and in the midst of all this turmoil and upheaval. Um, you wrote this book, Gray Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits. So you were working on this book while taking care – of, uh, of Mr. Combs uh, and, You're so uh, what, respectful what was, Mr. Combs I, I'll tell you I, I, like I have that. so much respect for him The highest compliment As we said before the show The highest compliment Thank I have received uh, While well, um, filling in here Is when people compare me to him You know that's Because uh, he's, uh, he's Such a great soul Such a great spirit And just so much love uh, To give So that's the highest compliment I can receive uh, To be compared To one of the greats In radio history
2: Oh that makes me feel good um, Thank you
0: So let's get into this book A little bit Sure so, what uh, drove you to write this book? Basically, the premise is uh, divorce rates after the age of 50, they soar.
2: They've been which, soaring, yeah. Which is
0: interesting because you usually think about growing old together. You think yes. about grandmother and grandpa, you know, always uh, hanging around, even if they hate each other. We all know an older couple that's just like, they've hated each other for 65 years. It's worked out perfect. But it's great. Great. So great. what is it? Is it a it's a shifting culture or technology? Why is it uh, more acceptable now uh, for these people to divorce after 50?
2: Well, the first thing I'll say is that someone said to me, oh, you're writing a book on great divorce. Were you having problems with Alan in your marriage? That oh got my. You to yeah, this, is this Great timing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, great. I said, no, no, no. That wasn't the case at all. Um, I think what initially got me started in thinking about the topic was, You know, my grandparents, they were married for 68 years, and they fought like hell. Right, 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 right. They loved each other. But they fought like hell. So right. their names were um, Florence and Stanley. You know, okay. older generation names, yes. right? Not like Skip or something modern. Right. Florence and Stanley, and not Chip and Joanne oh, from no. Fixer Upper, which no. is a great show on HGTV. I, lo- I loved. I'm addicted to that I'm show. I'm totally addicted oh, to it. I, could, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I could watch that all the time. I followed
0: both of them on Twitter, and they are great.
2: But why are they leaving?
0: She's pregnant.
2: Oh, and that's the that's music. why. Oh. Yes,
0: she got pregnant, and she said, "I don't want to do the show while well pregnant." So they're taking it. So they're. I don't know if they'll come back, but oh, uh, I hope
2: they do. It does become addictive. You know,
0: they seem busy enough. Yes, yeah,
2: they, they, they do. As
0: you and Alan were a busy couple, so are Chip <laughs> and Joyetta so Gates.
2: That, that's very <laughs> impressive that you know their names. Yeah, so growing up, I spent a lot of summers with my grandparents, sure. and they had the classic fights. You know, uh, Florence would say to Stanley, Stanley would be sitting there in his chair mm. reading the newspaper, right? and she would say, Stanley, would you get up and go to the store and get me my milk? Right. And he would say, Florence, and he would throw <laughs> the newspaper down to oh, the floor no. and say, "Can't can't a man read a newspaper after he <laughs> comes home from work in peace?" And then you know, in the in the same way, you know, he would say to her, oh, she was responsible for clean doing the laundry and all right. of those things, and he would say to her every day, Florence, what am I wearing? Because she would pick out his outfits, of course, and she right. and I. Florence? I don't have any clean shirts.
0: But, right. You know, a man is always a toddler. From, <laughs> from, from the cradle to the grave we are just like, where are my clothes? Are how my do clothes? I live? How do I walk? How what do I breathe? What do I wear?
2: <laughs> and so, but no matter how many times they argued, they never thought about getting a divorce. So, right. I, I saw an article about... Well,
0: what did you think about that That never, never thinking about getting a divorce? Did you think that was a positive thing? Or were you like, you know, guys, honestly, it's a little toxic in here. Just go get the milk or do your own dang laundry
2: <laughs> oh yeah i guess maybe once in a while when their voices were raised a lot i right. thought about you know maybe um but it was kind of actually sweet because in a way All marriages, let's face it, take work. No marriage is a walk in the park. So in a way, of people of that generation, they kind of stuck to it over time. They they stuck with it. They stuck with each other through thick and thin. Um, And so when I saw these statistics of people over the age of 50, you know, growing in terms of their divorce rate, now um, one out of every four divorces is gray, meaning that one half of the couple is over the age of 50. Okay. Um, I went out and I decided that I wanted to talk to them and figure out why the hell they were doing this. Yeah,
0: it's such a fascinating uh, phenomenon. Yeah,
2: and so I interviewed 40 men and 40 women okay. for this book. And I part of what I asked them was, Why are you doing this? Right, right. right? Did
0: you notice a difference between the answers of women and men as far as why the divorce?
2: Yeah, yeah. So my first expectation was that this is the baby boomer generation, right? right? So they grew up in the '60s, you know, peace, love, hippies, right? And so I expected them, you know, to say, "Well, I just, you know, we grew apart. Oh, I just wanted to find myself. I wanted to, you know, do my own thing.
0: Self discovery, yeah. Self discovery,
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, the '60s, right? And I found that true to be of some of them, but the majority of them had these traditional reasons as to why they divorced. So both okay. men and women talked about adultery. Oh, okay. So the cheating was right. number one. Um, one woman said to me, yeah, I looked in my husband's coat pocket. I found a hotel receipt. Mm. And I— figured out that I wasn't in that hotel room at that time. Pretty so easy to
0: figure out, good she, detective work. She put
2: everything together, and right. she said, that wasn't me. Um, and so adultery, both men and women, um, also- now, do
0: you think that that, um, it's interesting because that's never been acceptable? Uh no. not, in, not in the Leave it to Beaver era of this country, uh, and nor today, but at the same time, divorce is not acceptable. Right. So did they have a difficult time being like, I'm divorcing after the age of 50, which is frowned upon by some people mm-hmm. in society mm-hmm. because of another action of my significant other that's also frowned upon?
2: You know what I actually found is that a lot of them, they were short affairs. Like they found out that their partner was having a short affair sure. over you know a period of six months. right? And they said... Enough was enough, but a lot of them stuck with their spouses, okay. even knowing that they were having long-term affairs or serial affairs and things of that nature, and they just stuck it through. And then finally, there was some straw that just broke the camel's back, right. and they said, "I had enough."
0: So for the women, it was mostly men cheating.
2: For both of them. Oh, for both of for them. For both okay. of them, and then also for both sexes, they talked a lot about uh, mental health issues. Oh, okay. She's a little crazy. Right. He's a little, little nuts. Um right. And they. Talked talked about that all of our grandparents are crazy though <laughs> i think all of, our I think all are of us are crazy that's yeah. true but it was something you know they thought a lot of times they thought about giving their partner some space to get treatment sure. and then they wouldn't get better and so then they pursued a divorce in terms right. of differences though there were also differences between the sexes men for example <laughs> let's see if you can relate to this okay so men talked a little bit about They didn't like the way things were being done in their household. So they talked about two things specifically. They talked about money, Uh first of all. And they said that their wives would just spend too much money. Okay. And they talked about also what they called financial infidelity, that their wives Hmm. would hide what they were spending.
0: So what is I mean, it's obviously, um, it's not about the money, right? It's
2: about the trust. It's about the trust. It's the control. And so all of a sudden, you know, I had men say, all of a sudden I would get this credit card bill. Right. And I had no idea she bought that $1,000 purse. Right. And it was a series of things like that. They also had the men. It's
0: interesting. Yeah. And do you think that men sort of did that carry the same amount of weight as uh, cheating physically on a significant other? For some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Or that was the main reason. Well, you don't really
0: think about that too much. You know, the idea, because I kind of love the idea of having a a wife. I hopefully have enough money at some point where she can just go crazy spending. (laughs) But then at some point, I suppose you do hit uh, hit a different economic situation and perhaps the spending has to stop.
2: The spending has to stop. And I guess uh, I was thinking about Alan and me and I guess every couple has, their own way of like spending money right? right and they come to an agreement so for Alan and me Alan was like do whatever you want he was very free yeah. you know he was like, Alan was kind of a hippie at heart so he yeah. said you yeah, know whatever you want to do whatever you want. but I think for like bigger, expenses we would talk about it and sure. say this is what this is what we want to do are we both okay with it right so for a lot of these guys they just kind of found out over time that their wives were spending money on things that they didn't know right they also talked about discipline and with okay. their children that they disagreed oh over, interesting. over a period of time that their wives were too lenient
0: But now, this would be a lot of empty nesters, right? So the children have already been out of the house, so they're retroactively upset with the parenting.
2: Yeah, so evidently this would be
0: building up over time. it seems like these are, like, small problems that are allowed to really blossom. Yes. How do you avoid the the breakup? How do you, like, okay, we don't agree on parenting. We don't agree on money. All of these things can – it's all about allowances. You just have to address them earlier, right? Right.
2: So I asked all of the people that I interviewed, you know, did you go ahead and try couples counseling? Sure. Did you talk to your spouse about what was going on? And most of them said, you know, we, I, we tried talking. It didn't work. Or – I tried to get him to go to counseling, but he didn't want to go to couples counseling or she didn't want to go. Um, Now, the wives had different reasons for getting a great divorce. The wives talked about two things. Number one, addictions. Oh. Pornography. Really? Alcohol and drugs. That their husbands were addicted to pornography, alcohol, and drugs. Well,
0: in this new era of the internet, obviously, uh, pornography has taken on a whole new level. I mean, these kids are now 10 years old looking at images that (laughs) are- I know.
2: I'm shocked.
0: You know, I'm Catholic,
2: so I'm shocked all the time. (laughs) Right.
0: So, that infusion of new technology, perhaps, was one of the reasons uh, for for some divorces.
2: Absolutely. So, it's all based on the web. Web pornography. And women saying every time he looked at it, I felt like he was cheating on me. Okay. So also alcoholism, alcohol was huge. So one of the people, woman I talked to, she said, you know, we were in the restaurant business together. Right. He would be great, you know, in the beginning stages. But then, you know, he would drink throughout the day and this continue to get drunk and I couldn't take it anymore. Um, And then the other reason women talked about was emotional and verbal abuse. Mm. So men didn't talk about that. Women talked about emotional ver- verbal abuse being called names mm. by their by their husbands, sure. um, emotional abuse, some of the scary stories about, yeah. you know, their partners really wanting to control their lives and right. so forth. So there were similarities in terms of adultery right. and um, mental illness, but then the wives and the husbands did have these very different reasons.
0: Why do you think that— uh The traditional, I suppose, norms of marriage, obviously they've sort of changed. Right. Do you think uh, had things stayed the same, maybe these people would have uh, stuck it out together? Or did they see society and uh, see other people getting divorces or seeing other people living independent lives as they get older and realize, oh, they can do that too?
2: I think that looking at exactly what you talked about at the start of of our talk today – that culturally it's just become more and more acceptable over time right. and so they saw younger people getting divorced i mean you're almost
0: applauded uh you know for be, for being an independent person you absolutely
2: know. Yeah. absolutely and they looked at their own lives and they said they reached their breaking point right. so after 20 years 30 years wow. 40 years even 40 years they sh- sh- you know they would just say yeah. oh, i'm done i'm out of here
0: all right, got gonna take a quick break i am ben Kissel. we'll be right back Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. Honored to have with me Jocelyn Elise Crowley, the author of Grey Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits. Thanks so much for sticking around, Jocelyn. What about this idea of throw do we're throwing away 40 years. We're throwing away 30 years. You know, this kind of idea, so many people, I think you just hit a certain number and you're like, well, we're sticking it out now because Absolutely. I don't want to <laughs> this term throw my girlfriend always uses it. We've been dating for like 18 months. She's like, well, we can't throw it away. I'm like, so I don't
2: You're going to pop the question. In?
0: Oh my god. You're, I'm going to have a great divorce right now. Oh my lord. Um but what, what about that? How do they deal with this idea of, do they feel like it's erasing the past? Or do they, uh, how do they move forward? Because w- obviously, many of them have children together. They have right. this long relationship. They're still gonna, they're they're bound forever.
2: They're bound, um, usually with adult children, like you talked right. about. So at this stage of their life, ha- they have these adult children. It's somehow they kind of just reach a breaking point. Okay. You know, so with adultery, Maybe a woman has kind of looked the other way for 20 or 30 years, and then all of a sudden she woke up one day and she said, I'm just not going to take it anymore. Do they have
0: any self-blame when it comes to adultery or alcoholism, both men and women, for allowing something to go on for so long? And then do they feel like, ah, I should have just stopped this 10 years ago? um, Or, I mean, I guess you can't really time these things out. I mean, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, so – they didn't really talk about, oh, I should have stopped this or taken right. a firmer stand. They were much more focused on the present, and they were much more focused on okay, for whatever reason, I did what I did. And Mm -hmm. many times they stuck together because of the children. Right, right. And once their children became adults into their 20s, they said, okay, now it's time for me to make this break.
0: I want to ask you how yours and Alan's relationship uh, evolved. But before that, I want to just quickly ask, how do the children react? You know, you think, and I remember I was in college and I had to be 19, 20 years old, and a person's parents were getting divorced and they were like really depressed. And I'm like, I don't know. it it should be okay you're out of the house but it really did have an emotional toll on them and uh, on him and he uh it it changed his view of relationships how do the children react to this stuff
2: absolutely so most of these children are in fact young adults and what i found through my interviews is that unfortunately for the men a lot of times the adult children they end up siding with the mother even they take sides even at that age sure um For whatever reason, maybe their mom spent more time with them when they were children maybe than their fathers did. So I found for the most part, they were upset. It took, you know, it took the wind out of them exactly how you're describing it. Mm. But they ended up, most of the kids ended up taking sides. Now, over time... Even at that age. Even at the age. Now, over time, some of the fathers said that over time they kind of moved towards back into their corner, right? Right. So initially they sided with their mother, but after five or six years they sort of the relationship was rekindled with their, with their fathers. So it, takes but it, it takes some time. It takes some time, definitely. And men I think suffer a lot more in that regard mm. in terms of losing that contact with their adult children immediately yeah. after the divorce. And
0: not to be stereotypical but myself, uh, I'm just horrible at communicating. I'm horrible <laughs> at when I'm, You're
2: on the radio. I know This is what? so easy I This have a, doesn't make any I never, sense.
0: I don't call my parents. I, I'm trying to get better I'm, tr- I'm actively <laughs> trying to get better at Wait, it.
2: Wait, how so, can you be a bad communicator when you're on the radio? This it doesn't this make any the sense only
0: time I talk. Okay. I you serious? I just sit and, uh, no, I, but uh, but I'm trying to get better at it because I don't think it's necessarily natural, specifically for men of a certain generation, yes. to reach out to their kids and reach out. If your kids aren't coming to see you at the house, right. when do you see them? That's you know? right. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Sticking around with me, Jocelyn Elise Crowley. She is the author of Gray Divorce, What We Lose and Gain. From Midlife Splits, thank you so much for staying here. I also want to plug ninety, uh, the 92nd Street Y, Monday, February 5th, 7 p.m. You'll be speaking about this book, Grade Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits. Yes, um, so I will I w- be there. I cannot wait. Um, I think I will be there as well. I'm, I hope I'll so. I'll check it
2: out. I hope so. Why not?
0: Uh, is it free wine? I don't I'm think is. I'm bringing wine. Not All right. there. right, I'm sneaking it in. <laughs> It, it, it's always free wine if you bring it yourself.
2: <laughs> you bring your own booze, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, how did your and Alan's relationship evolve over the years? Did you know? Did he, Was he one of those guys where it's like he's been the same ever since I met him? You and know, I was
2: telling John, our producer, yeah. um, that I actually met Alan for the first time in the lobby of this building. Oh, okay. News Corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The News Corps. And um, my sister actually went out. My sister introduced us. She okay. was on um, Fox News for yeah, a period Monica, of time, Monica. Monica Graham, yeah. And. Uh, she went on our first date, so she, she chaper- went on with yeah. you.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness! She
2: chaperoned our first date because I was a nervous wreck because I thought, oh, here's this famous person, I'm gonna be so nervous. Oh my goodness! And so I begged her to come with me, and she said, looking know, back, what do you think now? <laughs> knowing Alan, you're like, I cannot believe. I cannot believe I was so nervous, <laughs> but I was so nervous, and I got really. Oh. So my sister said, sure, she'll come. she came with us, so it was the three of us at okay. lunch. You know, Alan was. Oh one. my goodness. Alan Alan was the sweetest, nicest guy. And he was probably looking at me like I was insane. Like, oh, you brought your sister on to right, chaperone right, right. this date.
0: Um, <laughs> like it's a sock hop or something in the like 1960s. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, I needed a chaperone. But yeah, he introduced us. And, you know, he, we just hit it off right from the start. You know, we dated for about five years. Okay. Um, so that's I, a good that's a good time of, of dating. We did. I was a child of divorce. So okay. I was... Nervous. Interesting. Alan wanted to get married a lot quicker than I did. And right. I kind of put him off because of being a child of divorce. You're well, scared.
0: What, was there a moment where you said, okay, I can do it? I, I can we can pull the trigger and we can we can do this
2: yeah do you want to die laughing you promise you're not gonna make fun of me I
0: won't make fun of you no
2: you can though okay for comedic effect you can <laughs> so you've heard have you heard of the uh, motivational speaker Tony Robbins? of course he's
0: my size I know I, I know everyone who is six foot seven so oh, yes you, okay of course so
2: if this involves Tony Robbins so I was living in New Jersey at the time and Alan was living in New York and I turned on the television and there was Tony Robbins Robbins. on qvc selling his motivational cds this is honest (laughs) to god this is a true story i'm a big fan he's Uh, he's motivational uh, he is and honest to god he's on and alan had been hinting about oh we should get married it's been so long and i'd been kind of pushing him off and tony robbins was there i was sick with the flu and tony robbins said you know by not making a decision you're making a decision Uh uh-oh and I'm kind of feverish, and I'm like hearing that, and I said—
0: QVC, yeah, the wisdom Q- coming the from QVC. of
2: Tony Robbins on QVC, and I thought to myself, by not agreeing to marrying him, I'm making a decision. Right. And will—am I going to—and Tony Robbins talked a lot about overcoming your fears, right? right? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to make a decision and I'm not going to let my parents' situation define what I thought could be a really great marriage. Yes. So the next day I called Alan and I was like in this great fever and and I told him, (laughs) I'm like, I'm ready, I'm ready. And he said, are you sure the fever isn't like clouding your cheeks? It's like June
0: and Johnny Cash got married in a fever.
2: (laughs) And so I said, I'm ready. And then soon afterwards, he he gave me the ring.
0: Oh, that's so perfect. How did he propose? A nice proposal?
2: so romantic in his apartment we i had a beagle Bonnie. Oh, nice. maybe maybe the listeners will remember bonnie the beagle oh he bonnie tied, the beagle
0: i he, love bonnie the beagle he tied
2: the engagement ring to bonnie's collar and then oh. he told me to call bonnie into the room i was so i called bonnie and saw this beautiful
0: ring oh that's perfect and then how long did the wedding planning take
2: uh we were engaged for about a year and then, and then it, we just we got married here in New York, and we lived in New York, and we were married happily for thirteen years. Wow,
0: that's amazing. When yeah. you were writing, great divorce. At any time, did uh, did Alan just be like, "But don't get any ideas." <laughs> <laughs>
2: tell him about some of the, the stories that yeah. I would hear from people and he would say, you know, y- yeah, I would kind of, he'd say, that's crazy. That's not us. You know, we,
0: <laughs> you know. It really I, drive that point home. Yeah, so said
2: that Definitely, definitely different, different than we were. I mean, as I said, no marriage is perfect. Right? right. And, and I think that, you know, of course, Alan and I had our differences, but what made him so what made him a great husband is that he was willing to communicate which is what I'm going to get you to do in the future, to communicate better. I will do it. Especially with your girlfriend.
0: Well, I do communicate well. I think I do with her. I think so. It's just the extended family I've got to get better with. But we're working on it. We're working on it. So he
2: was always, whenever we had a problem, he was great about... Let's sit down and talk this out. Right. And so through ups and downs, you know, that really got us through. And he was a great husband. I was so yeah. lucky to be his wife. I really was lucky. Well,
0: we're all lucky to have him here with us. Thank you. Uh, 92nd Street Y, Monday, February 5th, 7 p.m. Check out Jocelyn Elise Crowley. Grey divorce. What we lose and gain from midlife splits. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.